Welcome back, listeners. On this episode, I spoke to Barry Limo, David Williams, and Jason Collins about Pam and Tommy. During our discussion, we chatted about eyebrows, tattoos, and nipple rings. Their reaction to the reaction of Sebastian Stan and Lily James' first picture as Pam and Tommy, what they hope audiences take away from the show, and much more. So I guess my first question to you all is just, how did you guys first hear about the project? And I mean, how did you guys all meet um, for the first time? Barry and I had worked together um, and Jason and I also had worked together as well. Um, I was called, I was on another show and I was called and asked if I knew somebody that might be good for this. And I said, yes, me. I would be good for that. And, <laughs> and the producer said, oh, I, I, I just assumed because you were on a show. And I was like, you know what? I never leave a show, but this is one I would leave a show for because it's that good. And um, I, he was like, well, done. And I said, and immediately the next words out of my mouth were, um, Jason would be incredible for prosthetics, for effects designer on this, and Barry for hair. And he was like, I know Barry, I've worked with Barry. It's perfect. <laughs> and when yeah. David called me, it was at the perfect time because I was finishing Pose season three in New York and I was kind of being strong armed into trying to do something else that I didn't really want to do. So I, um, it came at the perfect time because I was like, sign me up i'm free let's do it <laughs> dream job yeah and when david called me uh he was it's funny because he was a little colloquial about it at first he was just like you know i think i got something that might be kind of interesting you might you might be interested in it and i was like well what is he's like well let's chat about it a little bit more on the phone and let you know and so he gave me a call and then he he had mentioned what it was and i was just like I would love to turn somebody into Pam Anderson. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's how it started. And then yeah. the game began. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, how did the research begin for you guys? I mean, talk about two of the most, I mean, iconic figures of, I mean, in like the past few decades. I mean, how, how did that research begin? I mean, so much of Pam's, world is burned into my brain from my childhood just always looking up to her she was always an iconic individual to me so I already had such a great reference for her Um, but there's so much research out there and available it was so beneficial to our process because there was nothing that wasn't photographed you know there was pictures of every event they'd ever been at interviews um, footage from every show they'd ever been on so we really had a wealth of information available which was great. And I come from a long line of beauty queens and cheerleaders. (laughs) A lot of these ladies uh, are people that have been around my world for years. Um, And like with Barry, we we look, we first start with the research. There's so much, so many images of Pam and Tommy to look at in various forms of media, everything from the internet to, uh, you know, print work, print, the print world as well that we can get via eBay and so on. So we had a lot to choose from. And then we basically sit the pictures of the actors next to the pictures of the characters and we begin the process of 
drawing and comparison shape and form. For and us, of course, we, I also dove into the books that were available, the um, Tommy Lee's biography that he wrote, and then obviously Dirt, which was something that I'd read before. And then Pam, you know, her little book of poems that she had put together. There's so many great photos in there, although from another time, still a good reference point. Yeah, we start at my studio. Uh, we, we start, we put together these chronological time periods from the sort of the start of where the biopic would be and even before that to present day so that we can sort of get a look of the old, the over the overall arc of sort of what their look looks like from early on as far as when they're in the public eye to what they look like today and then just sort of try to try to you know we come armed with that information and talk with everybody and sort of find a find find the looks that we're looking for for that's going to take place over our period of time in which the biopic plays so we we do quite a bit because we have to get into and this is something we'll get into later like tattoos and things like that because you know we want to try to sort of replicate them the best that we can at the time in which our show is taking place and covering mm -hmm. um and since you guys are going back a, a, a while um i mean how did you um make up for um, makeup that might not exist anymore or uh, hair products that might not exist anymore. I mean, how, how did that work for you guys? The colors are all available for us to look at and, and compare and contrast the colors. Um, for me, I started with the Bobbi Brown Original 10 lipsticks uh, that Bobbi Brown began with in the early 90s that sort of set the pace for the tone of what the 90s would be, which would be much more natural than the 80s look, a lot of browns and wine tones, brick tones, nude tones. Um, and that was all, those were all palettes that Pam would use. And I knew having uh, lived the period and uh, also having not too long ago done the assassination of Johnny Versace set in the same time period, I had a lot of research of makeup from that time period and was able to utilize and compare and contrast colors that I had with what's on the market currently available. And I had just come off of season three of Pose and all of Pose that was, you know, spanned from 87 all the way up to 1997. So I had a wealth of research already kind of in my, in my pocket and all of the supplies and kind of equipment that I needed to execute this period, which is hot rollers and hot sticks, things like that, that, you know, through the joy, the lovely site of eBay and Etsy, I've, you know, kind of amassed quite a collection of vintage hair products and um, tools. And was there anything that concerned you um, with this particular project? I think in the beginning, a lot of discussion centered around brows. Um, both Lily and Pam have rather iconic brows in and of themselves that are completely different from one another. Uh, so we knew that recreating Pamela's brows would be incredibly important to do. Um, and what we wound, you know, through trials, through tests, um, what we wound up using was a forehead piece that was sort of twofold for us. It covered Lily's brows, it came down below her brows, and it went up beyond her hairline to give us the 
forehead space that Pam has. Again, when we begin at looking at the pictures, we see straight out of the gate that Pam has a little bit more forehead space than this Lily. And we take those things and we look at them in percentages. And so, you know, not to get too into the weeds of it, but it's sort of the ratio of percentage of what the actor's face is compared to the um, uh, character's face. And that's where we kind of judge where that's going to be. And then Barry can speak to that, gave him the ability to place the wig back a little bit further as well. Yeah, Lily's hairline is much lower than Pam's is. So that was one identifiable characteristic that we know we knew was going to be helpful to us if we were able to shift that. So by using the forehead prosthetic, I was able to place the hairline of the wig wherever I wanted to. So we got, really got to get that space between the brow and the hairline to match pretty closely to what Pam's was. And that was, I think, the one of the biggest identifiers in the change of Lily to Pam. Um, and it worked really well. It also gave me a nice scalp underneath the wig so that through the fine film lace, we were seeing actual skin and not a wig prep or anything like that. Um, and anytime you can do that, you really get that second level of believability when you're looking at it on camera because it just all truly looks real. Mm -hmm. I think my main concern was time, you know, like it is with everything. Um, you know, Lily was shooting uh, over in England still on a, on a project. And uh, so I had a colleague grab her life cast. She was able to get over to a colleague in London so that he can grab the life cast and grab the chest cast so that we can get it and start sort of working it out. David and I can start really sort of sketching things and start figuring out what we needed to do uh, to get her to look a little bit closer like Pam. And, um, you know, by the time she got here, we only had a couple of weeks, really. And, you know, luckily enough, the producers and the and and the actors saw fit that, you know, to allow us to do three or four makeup tests uh, to actually nail the looks. And so, you know, whereas most people only want to do one or two tests these days, uh, we were lucky enough that everybody indulged us with quite a few with, with quite a few tests. And, you know, so we were able to do things, redo things uh, to get it right. And that's always the important thing because nothing is ever right, right first out of the gate. You know, you got to sort of massage something into place and, you know, having people have the patience and all of those things that, 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 that is a terrific help for us. And, you know, uh, like David was saying, we settled into the, 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 we came to the forehead piece Originally, we were talking about just doing eyebrow covers because Lily has these amazing eyebrows that sort of go on for days. I mean, they're really thick and bushy and beautiful and uh, healthy. Uh, we didn't want to tweezer them down. Um, we knew that wouldn't really give us that look. Uh, but um, we also didn't want to just do eyebrow covers right in the middle of her forehead. So, you know, because you get a lot of artifacts when they start moving their expressing their stealth and start emoting and things, we're worried about certain things showing and being evident. But once we did the forehead and we brought that sort of edge down right above her eyelid and blended that in and brought it down two inches past her hairline, we, we realized that paid off in dividends that a lot of us I don't think were expecting, uh, especially when Barry was able to get that hairline back. And so the profile read perfectly because she's got a beautiful jawline. Mm -hmm. You know, and it really does match Pam's jawline from, you know, really well. Um, but once we did that with the forehead, I mean, that was that was a game changer for all of us, I think. Mm -hmm. and, and then we the get biggest into, challenge. Go ahead, David. I was just going to say, then we get into the details. 
the, the tiny little things about the structure of her face. We wanted to recreate that Pam smile as well. So uh, Jason and Autonomous Effects, his company made uh, a great set of uh, teeth for Lily to wear that were sculpted fine enough that they didn't interfere with her speech, but they gave us that smile that we were looking for. Um, and it's always, I, you know, I always, it's, I always say it's the details, 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 the devils in the details, and we're the three little devils. So <laughs> always searching for the, the everything to not to just make it right, to make it perfect. Yeah. But I, I think one more thing that I think before any of this even started, when you ask about what kind of what our greatest concern was, as the, just the sensitivity to this, this subject matter and to make sure that we were honoring Pam and, and recreating her beautifully and not in a way that was over the top or a sort of uh, caricature of her or like a drag version of Pam. Mm -hmm. We wanted to make sure that this was truly authentic and it looked soft and beautiful on camera and not harsh um, and kind of, of this kind of sculpture of Pam. We wanted it to feel like a real life Pam and paying attention to those little details before we even started the process, I think was all of our concern to make sure we got it right. And we have those iconic moments in the show of the Tonight Show and Baywatch and certain moments that we all know of Pam, but a lot of our show, um, it, it's not about what happened, what about inside the sex tape, it's about what happens outside of it, everything that was going on around it. It is, you know, the real life Pam, the soft, natural, pretty Pam at home and, and, and the, the lady on her way to work as opposed to when she's working, those kind of things that um, we have to give, as Barry was saying, there's a lot of authenticity to it and, and believability so that the audience isn't pulled out ever. Part of our process is to never put anything or do anything um, in the makeup or hair that's going to be distracting. Everything we do has to enhance the image that we are creating. And anything that could pull the audience out of the moment or the inhibit the actor's performance are things we try to avoid doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's the biggest fear is caricature, I think. And I think that all three of us were really aware of that. You know, you could really go into that territory very quickly uh, with caricature, you know, and you always have to find the medium of what you know, who Lily is and what her body type is and bone structure is compared to, to Pam and sort of find that, that medium ground, what, what, what's going to be really naturalistic and what's not going to pull the audience out of it with still sort of getting that likeness perfect and enough for an audience to buy, but not for, to point anything out for it to be ridiculous, you know, like we experimented with a nose tip and a couple of other things that just, they looked fine straight on, but you know, you, you catch just the side profile and it wasn't very thick at all. It was very, very thin, but it doesn't matter. It pulls you right out of it. And so, you know, we were able to ixnay that. And then, you know, um, David can speak to some of the more structural things that we did with painting her face to sort of give her that sort of highlight and shadow and sort of do things more traditionally rather than three-dimensionally so that we can have a good mix of everything, expose as much Lily as we could to get her as close to Pam as we could. A little pain will make you what you ain't. And yes. uh, after <laughs> we have the uh, structure on the uh, prosthetic forehead that is put on, 
Uh, we then begin that process of contouring and highlighting, which we call a corrective area of makeup. We're turning one beautiful woman into another beautiful woman. And so with that, we've got a lot of symmetry, the things that we kind of respond to in the world in terms of what's considered beauty. And both of these women are incredibly beautiful. So we do shading and highlighting to further enhance the form that we've begun to create on the forehead to get that structural part of Pam. And then we move into the character and the period part of it, which is dictated by the words. It all starts with the words. DB and Rob wrote an incredible script and they gave us a lot of description about where the actress would, where the character would be at any given moment. And Lily gave us a lot of insight to where she would be taking Pam in those moments. So we knew character-wise where Pam was, whether she was, you know, happy and excited about a premiere or maybe, you know, a little bit more distressed at other times. Period is obviously set by the time. And then on top of that, then we put the other component of makeup is beauty makeup. And that goes on top of all of that to create whatever the look is we're doing at that time. This particular makeup encompasses basically everything you can do in makeup from changing with structure and an appliance, a prosthetic, mm -hmm. all the way into corrective makeups, the character, the period, and then of course, beauty makeup on top of that. Like it's, it's a full on head to toe makeup that, I mean, included everything down to her acrylic nails at the tips of her fingers. I mean, it, she was completely transformed head to toe. Mm. And I mean, uh, we were talking about, or Jason was mentioning the, uh, the tattoos on Sebastian. I mean, what were the challenges there? I mean, I mean, talk about really like nailing each and every single one of his sort of uh, features and um, identifiers. Um, but can we get into that um, and what you had to deal with um, in terms of Sebastian? I'll let Jason speak to the uh, tattoos, but just in hitting on what you just said about the identifiability of Tommy, when we also had nipple rings on him, which Jason can speak to making the nipple, the prosthetic nipples as well. But when I took the, um, a picture of Tommy's, just his chest to the tattoo parlor that I was going to, to buy the nipple rings, I wanted to get the right gauge nipple ring. I didn't have a picture of Tommy's face or anything. I literally just had his chest, a picture of the upper part of his torso. And because we don't typically talk about what we're doing, just, you know, I'm, I need this to replicate this. The guy that owns the studio said, oh, are you working with Tommy Lee? And I was like, uh, not exactly. Why do you ask? And he said, oh, well, that's Tommy Lee. Those, that, those tattoos are that identifiable. Just a small piece of him is made him completely identifiable. I'll let Jason speak to the actual, the, the process of making those tattoos, Autonomous made those for us. Yeah, so Sebastian doesn't have a tattoo on his body, which is great because it sort of allows us to start with a clean, uh, a clean palette. And what we do generally is we have them come in and we scan them. We scan, like for Sebastian, we scanned his upper body. And we also did what's called a tape tracing cast. And what that allows us to do is sort of get his dimensions perfectly. We can tell the measurement between his wrist and his elbow, elbow to, to, to shoulder, all of those things, which allow us to know how much space we have to play for, play with. Because, um, because him and Tommy uh, physically are different. Uh, Tommy is, uh, I think Tommy is a couple inches taller 
than he is and things like that. So we also knew we were going to need to modify a couple of the things so that they would fill him out and give him that sort of same dimension that Tommy had. The first step that we do is we create a chronological order from you know the earliest images we can find of Tommy Lee with ink to modern day. And we then highlight that specific time period in which our story takes place. We then start designing all of those in Photoshop and we design all of them flat. And then we take them and we wrap them around the scan of, Tam of, uh, of uh, Sebastian's body so that we know that everything's gonna interlock and everything's gonna place uh, perfectly. And that becomes, it's a very time, uh, a time sucking thing, if you will, because, uh, you know, once you get that in a 3D space and then you flatten it out and you print it out in a physical phase space, a, 2D, a 3D physical space and you start to apply it, there's always little tweaks and things that you have to do. So on this particular project, we decided early on what tattoos to actually use of Tommy, because if you look at some of the photos during in which our, our show was taking place, early on you know only in, in the uh in the beach photos and everything only half of his mayhem on his chest is complete well if you're an audience member and you're watching that it just feels like the hair and makeup team didn't do their job correctly so what we decided was not to pull the audience out and try to be as perfect with the timeline and just say okay during that time we're going to say he had this tattoo and it was perfectly done and so we can carry those tattoos through the beginning and the end of the show without really pulling the audience out unless there is a specific scene where he goes to a tattoo parlor and gets that done or, or whatever. So those are, the, those are the sort of things that go into it before you start designing. Then you design and you have to change things just slightly about the general rule is like 30 to 40%. And legal counsel for the production gets involved and you submit all the artwork to them. They look at it and they say, okay, um, let's change this font a little bit more. Let's change that. And they really go over it with a, with a fine-tooth comb because what you don't want to do is you don't want to do any copyright infringement that they may or may not have releases for. And it's always better to play it safe that way. Um, we can get the general taste and feeling of the tattoos, albeit the color, uh, the arrangement, the structure, but they're all slightly different if you look at it. And that's the sort of art of it is like, how do you get the essence of it while just, you know, if you look if you really look at it, it's, it's different as well. So that's what we do. And we design them, we print them on what's called a water slide paper. And we break those tattoos. He wore from 30 to 35 tattoos throughout the show. And we break those up into individual tattoos. And we, we literally spray them with glue, apply them to their hand, saturate the paper with water, and they slip right off, off, off the paper onto the skin and then we seal it. So it's about a three hour process. It was, it was a deal, you know? Oh yeah. And Sebastian wasn't the only one that had tattoos. Lily also had tattoos. She had the barbed wire tattoo on her arm. She also had the tattoos of the uh, leech markings that had been left that kind of looked like birthmarks on the upper part of her arm. You know, the, 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 those are the kind of things that are Easter eggs for the audience that know yeah. Pam and are really familiar with her, they would recognize that as an identifiable feature that we included in the show. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know I only have a few more um, minutes with you guys, um, but I mean, what has, like when the, when the first trailer and the first pictures dropped, I mean, obviously you all are on social media of some sort and you, you probably read the news. I mean, what was your, 
reaction to the reaction of it all? I think it was affirming um, and surprising because these two individuals are so recognizable and there was already high expectations placed on it and confusion around the casting. People were unsure about Lily as um, Pam. They were thinking, why not Megan Fox? Or why not someone who's, you know, a more kind of sexual woman, someone who's in the public eye as a bombshell, um, not Cinderella. But I think that when all of these images came out and people started giving us feedback, it just kind of confirmed that we were on the right track because some of those images came out while we were still shooting, which was such a blessing because it gave us the opportunity to continue to refine and to see that it was working and to see that this was possible, that Lily was the right choice. And um, surprisingly, there wasn't a lot of negative feedback and there still hasn't been, which, you know, with a, a story that encompasses such controversy, I think all of us were expecting, you know, a super critical eye on it that was maybe going to be a little bit more negative. And thankfully, it's been super positive and it continues to be. Mm -hmm. I had a great moment early on with Lily when we were uh, in, the, in, you know, probably within the first week or two of shooting. I would originally talked to her about when you're wearing a prosthetic breast piece that it's, you're not going to feel nude you're gonna feel like you have something on, like a shirt or a sweater or something. But to the outside world, to the people who see you, they're gonna see that as you. They're gonna recognize that as real. They're gonna go, oh, you know, that's, that's her body. And so you have to always be conscious of that. We'd always be conscious of modesty, you know, when she was, you know, running around and stuff like that. Well, one day we're going across the parking lot, going to the studio early on um, and full on Pam, done head to toe, ready to go. And we walk by a truck and there's a grip on the back of a phone, well, on the back of the truck talking on his phone. And he literally, when she walked by, almost fell off the truck. Like <laughs> Pam Anderson just walked by. And it was great because I looked at Lily and I was like, we didn't kill anybody, but <laughs> I think we got it. And I felt like when those, that image first came out, those first three images, I felt like the world got to fall off the back of the truck, like that grip, because it was so shocking and exciting to see these two people really portray two iconic images um, so great. And what we do is part of it, but you know, they are, they embody those people. They work hard to take that character to make it, make it those people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, and much to David's point, you know, it's like we can get, we know what we can do as makeup artists and hairstylists and things. We know how close we can get people you know, what the parameters are and everything. But, you know, it's all just makeup and hair and powder and everything until, until you know, the actor gets in it and, you know, starts using those, those tools that you gave them to actually sort of, uh, you know, to, to really take their performance a little further to embody what you've done. And so, you know, it's nice that, you know, every day that Pam was in the chair, I mean, she was practicing, she was watching, she was watching rehearsal, she was getting the cadence of the speech, she was, I mean, I mean, she worked like nobody I've ever, I've ever seen work, you know, um, and, this, and the same with Sebastian, it's like, you know, they knew what they were doing, they knew, they knew what was at stake, and, you know, they had something, you know, whether or not they had something to prove, I don't know, that's, that's their, that's their mindset, but my God, did they work tirelessly to do it, you know, and that was a blessing when, you know, all of the work, kind of 
all the work kind of falls into place with a performance that's really well done, really well researched and a lot of heart into it. I mean, it's a perfect storm. It's light, it's lightning striking in a place that doesn't usually strike all the time. And so that's, that's one of these rare projects that I think all three of us are going to walk away from and just, you know, just really wish we get that experience again, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's all been very interesting. I mean, with, with social media and I mean, casting decisions, I mean, there've been, obviously there's been a lot just in the past year of, are they doing like, is this the right person? Is this, are they fit to do this? But I, I think it all, like you guys have said, it goes down to the acting and how much they embody the character um, on their own um, through the rehearsals and through everything that you guys have said. Um, so it, it's, it's very interesting, I mean, interesting in being in, in the space of Twitter and Instagram and having that, uh, having that reaction just so visceral and right there. Um, but, but I think you guys have done a fantastic job with that. Um, and I, I mean, I can't wait for the, the rest of the world to, um, to see what you guys have done and to see what um, Lily and Sebastian have done because I mean, the work speaks for itself there too. Um, yeah. But if you don't mind, I do have one last question for you guys. And um, I mean, what, what do you hope that audiences take away from this particular story of Pam and Tommy? I personally hope that they discover some humanity um, in the story, that they humanize Pam a little bit more and see things through a different lens now that we are so far removed from that time um, because things are different now. And I think that had this happened today, Pam wouldn't have been ridiculed and outcast as much as she was at that time because it was new. It was not something that had ever been done before. Um, and it was stolen, it was privacy stolen. And I hope that they can see the humanity in the story and see how it affected a woman in Hollywood um, and how it still continues to affect women in Hollywood differently than men. And how do we move forward differently? How do we embrace everyone in the same way and not hold women to a higher standard um, just because men have always been in control? So I hope that we can walk away from this piece um, and give a little bit more care to the woman who is affected most by this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with Barry. I'd say to piggyback on that, um, we're talking about privacy stolen versus today's privacy brokered a lot of the time. There's a, you know, a significant difference in how that impacts the individuals to whom that happens to. Um, something stolen is uh, a huge betrayal for you. And it's, uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, I think that well, we can all look at and learn from this is um, when we are engaging in that, uh, the salaciousness of that, we're so, somewhat culpable in it. There's a big difference between it being brokered and being intentionally out there and then something that is stolen and um, voyeuristically looking into it um, and the impact that that can have on the victim of that crime. Uh, it, you know, that's something that I think you do see in the arc of the story that the world is culpable of that uh, victimization. I think it's, you know, personally, I think it's nice that, you know, this show is going to take a look at their side of it, you know, 
intimately their side of it and 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 what they experienced and what they went through and i think it really does humanize their drama and everything and i think it's interesting looking at it looking at back then with today's lens and seeing it from that perspective and i think that there's something to learn you know all of us that you know uh, watch pop culture, engage in it, whether it's social media these days or, or whatever you're watching, to know that there's a human being attached to the other end of that. And I think that there's something, you know, I, I think that that, you know, looking at it through that lens, through today's lens and seeing, seeing that from yesteryear or from, you know, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, and there's still some things never changed. And hopefully we're working towards that. And hopefully this sort of shines a, a light on that and everybody can Everybody can look at that and say, you know, like like what David and Barry were saying, that there's some culpability on other people's parts, too. I mean, it's just, you know, this takes more than, than two people to do. Mm-hmm. I also want to just note that Jason used the term yesteryear in this, which is <laughs> yeah. fantastic. Man, I, I, I listen, everything, you know. It's funny, man, because that that doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but it really was, right? It's like 20 years ago, right? No, it was more than that. Holy cow. I was looking at pictures of them. 30 years ago. Wow. I was looking at pictures of them recently, or Pam recently with her sons, and I was like, my God, (laughs) they're full-grown men almost, you know? So, yeah, it's interesting. But it's funny how some things have changed. And some things really haven't changed, you know, and and I think that DV and Rob wrote this amazing script and, and Craig directed this great story that that really sort of shines a light on that. And hopefully, you know, with all the with all the new shows and all the 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 way that we're looking at things in pop culture now, I think it's a great opportunity, you know, to, to shine some light on that. Mm-hmm. Retell the narrative in a sense. Yeah, definitely from their perspective, their point of view, you know, I think that gets lost. Right. Mm-hmm. But I also hope that I think we're still guilty of it today. I mean, that was the beginning of where we're at today, where there's an entitlement from the general population to have access to celebrities because they are celebrities. So therefore, you know, yeah. they've chosen to do this. They they are required to give us a look at their life. And especially with social media now, it's like, people are getting paid for it. It's monetized. And we all need to look at that a little bit differently and understand that like, if I were in this situation, do I want the world to have access to me? Like, I know it's part of the career choice, but it's also like, why is that a part of the career choice? Why can't we exist as human beings without feeling like we're entitled to, I mean, obligated to to give it up to the world? That's a good point. I think it's a really good point, Barry. Thank you all for listening. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jackson Vickery. Graphics were done by Dylan Michael. And the opening and closing theme were done by Sterling Gavinsky.